Thank you. We had a great time with you guys yesterday. We had a great time this morning with that worship. I kind of felt like just letting Percy Sledge continue. <laughs> you know, when a man loves a woman. I mean, I was in school, and those, those were the best songs ever. Okay, so Ann and I are going to sort of... We are prejudiced. <laughs> yes, we are. We, uh, we're going to sort of tag team this thing. It's not going to be uh, preachy. It's, we're just going to try to encourage you, as Matt uh, requested, that we really teach on parenting. And so what we're going to do is tag team on the fourth responsibility of parenting. And that fourth responsibility is letting go. It's really launching the next generation. And uh, we've got to keep, what Ann and I want to tell you is that we have to keep the end game in, in mind. And that's so hard to do when you have all these kids that are just uh, d- doing so many things with their schedule in church and sports and activities. And you get so distracted that it's so hard to retain that perspective of that end game. What's the goal? To release them. To release them uh, from, in- from dependence upon you to independence and yet reliance and dependence upon the Lord. And that's what we really want to do. Because someday... Things will be different at your house. Someday the den's going to be all picked up, neat, (laughs) clean. Someday. No more toys to step on. No more jackets laying on the floor as you walked in the door. No, it's all going to be clean and neat. No more little smudgy handprints all over your windows and doors. No, they'll all be gone. And your milk carton (laughs) might even be full. Yeah, I can so easily remember going in and with the kids, three in high school we had in the same year, and, and looking at the gallon jug empty. Why did they leave it empty? But it's going to be full, and it might have even soured. And then you look on the back seat of your SUV, and it's going to be clean. No Happy Meals any longer on the floor in the seats neat and empty. And all of a sudden you're going to remember parenting was temporary. That responsibility that you thought would never end, well, it's going to be done. And you're going to remember then what we talked about today, that children are entrusted to us for a little while by God to raise, to love them, to release them from our homes, to go into life. Marriage is permanent. This relationship stays the same. But those kids will leave you one day. So we got to work hard, and that's what we're going to talk about today, working hard on holding them loosely, learning how to do that, and, and why we should do that. So, yeah, and though we're going to approach this, I'm going to look with you at uh, just three simple biblical principles, starting with Genesis and then Psalm 127, and then ultimately we'll go a little farther into Deuteronomy 32:11, looking at how God even changed, uh, worked, and and matured the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. And then Anne's going to come along, and she's going to be. Uh, practical. She's going to look at the process and say, these are some helps that really will encourage you. So I want to begin as we tag team this 
And uh, I want to talk first of all, uh, the first biblical principle is that letting go is God's design. Letting go is what He has planned in His process. And it's revealed in the Word in uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So there, there is to be that separation, the initiative taken. God gave this instruction before there were even children. And so here's the process. We leave biblically in order to bond, in order to develop those functions and roles properly, the two of us alone. And as Ann and I have traveled from Vietnam to China to Cuba six times, India, all these places, I, I can't spell. I didn't know where they were. Myanmar, of all places, Cambodia, all these crazy places. We have discovered that one of the weaknesses, and in fact, the predominant weakness is that they don't separate. They throw up the rebar and they stay with, and therefore roles don't develop and leadership doesn't develop, and the bonding, the closeness does not come. So we're really seeing this as a biblical mandate, a biblical principle in Scripture. When our son-in-law, Howard, wanted to marry our daughter, I got together with him, and without going into a whole lot of detail, I said, well, Howard, we are so excited for you to marry Laura, and we know that you love the Lord. They both, both were with Campus Crusade for Christ, crew as it's called now. And uh, I, I just alone with Howard said, let me just run you through uh, some, uh, th- what Genesis 2.24 looks like practically. Number one, it, it, you, you remove yourself physically, Howard. In other words, you guys aren't going to live with us. Uh, <laughs> Ah, good idea. Okay. That means, Howard, that you find your own domicile or whatever that, you know, where you want to reside, all right? You're going to be responsible for that. But you separate so there will be the development of the relationship apart from mom and dad. Okay. Secondly, Laura, our daughter, Howard, she's not going to be looking to her mother any longer or certainly to me, but more her mom for that emotional encouragement closeness, nearness, all that stuff. And she's not going to be calling all the time. That's just not going to happen. She's going to develop a friendship relationship, intimate relationship with you. You guys are going to make life work together before the Lord. And then thirdly, Howard, and you, I really want you to get this. You have a pen and paper, Howard? You're going to leave financially. <laughs> no. But, you know, in other words, you're really responsible for this deal. You're, you're the head, but, you know, First Timothy 5, 8, a uh, man who does not provide for his own is worse than an unbeliever. Howard, we want you to know these principles, we want you to financially be responsible. And so that's what it means in Genesis 2.24, to leave and to cleave. And so we want you to be fully aware of that, and Howard was good with that. And then secondly, the, the second... Oh, wait, no lips say hoops. Oh, thanks, hon. It, we also said this, to the amazement <laughs> of our daughters-in-law and our son-in-law. Hear this. Howard, there are no hoops through which you must jump for Bob and Ann. Oh, just free those kids up. We may have times where we alternate years like Thanksgiving and Christmas, but you don't have to be there. 
We're not holding you like this. You're the Lord's now. And so we're going to hold you like this. And if loosely, and if you want to come back, if you want to get in that, that would be great. But no expectations, no hoops for us. And our kids just looked at us and said, wow, thank you. And now we can't get rid of those kids. <laughs> no. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal really the fun. response. <laughs> It's phenomenal, the response. Thank you for mine. Yeah. And then the second <laughs> biblical principle. Children are arrows in your quiver. They're meant to be released by you. They're really God's property. They were never us. They're just entrusted to us for about 18 years. And Psalm 127 with Solomon, especially in verses 3 and 4, give us the way that you and I should see our children. All right? So they are gifts, their rewards, and their arrows. Psalm 127. Children, uh, verse 3, children are a heritage or a gift from the Lord. Uh, that word means an heirloom, literally, irreplaceable, incredibly valuable. So we are to see them as that. We're to see them as a reward a blessing, not a burden, and spend time with them. Give that sense of belonging to them. And uh, then there are thirdly like arrows in the hands of a warrior. And children, that's what children are. And no matter how many children you have, they initially are in what we call a quiver. But the arrows are never to be left in the quiver. They're to be, as Anna and I like to think in Ephesians 2.10, directed, taken out, and shot toward a, a destiny, a bullseye, a target of God's own picking, selection for their lives, not yours. You are not the one to tell them what to do. God, they're His, remember? And so you are to discover and help them discern what gifts and skill sets He's entrusted to them. And what a joy that is. As we get in bed and, and pray with them and stuff like that, we would talk about, I can't wait to see all that God's going to do with your life. Ephesians 2.10 goes something like this. You're uh, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He has prepared before the foundation of the world that you might walk in them. And we would tell our kids, we can't wait to see all that God has in store for your life. He's going to have such an impact through you, Laura, through you, Reed, through you, Stephen. Oh, it's going to be great. So the principle, arrows are made to be released. And then the third, the third. Oh, one what? thing, made to be released by the parents. And it's such oh, well, a way to bless your children as they go off to college that you are saying, it's okay. You know, when they get married that you're saying, you have our blessing. That is a way that you intentionally release them. Yeah, thanks, son. All right, and then thirdly, let them learn to fly. Let them learn to fly while they're under your roof, mm -hmm. under your tutelage, this under your huge. authority. Okay. Huge. <laughs> Huge. But it's so easy. Huh? <laughs> oh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. That's for sure. We didn't okay. want to see them make any mistakes. A we facet? didn't want to see them mess up and make a bad choice here or there, right? Right. <laughs> they made some bad choices, honey. <laughs> uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11, uh, speaks of the Israelites who had messed up at Kadesh Barnea, and they're wandering in the wilderness, book of Numbers, for those 40 years. And they're still under the authority of Moses, Aaron's the priest, his older brother. And so uh, what God does through Moses is give Deuteronomy 32 in that second giving of the law for the new generation, and he describes God. 
Moses writes this down in the inspiration of Scripture and says, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. Well, what God does is so fascinating as he compares himself to an eagle. If you've ever looked at that, it probably in that arid country, probably like a golden eagle. A golden eagle. They nest higher than any other bird. If you've ever been uh, to a place like Colorado and you've seen that the eagle nests higher than any other flying creature of God's kingdom. And sometimes those nests are like eight feet high, and they're, they're huge, and they, they collect these enormous branches and form a scaffolding called that nest, and then they, they put in there those little uh, branches. And then what's fascinating, before the eaglets are hatched, the mother eagle actually pulls out the softest part of her feathers called the down from underneath her wings, and she lines that nest and makes it so incredibly comfortable and cushy. The little dudes are hatched. That's what we say in Texas. The little, the eaglets are hatched. Okay. And it's just so soft and warm and life just is, this has got to be heaven on earth. They say to themselves, they can't imagine anything better. And mom and dad are constantly bringing them these Epicurean culinary gastronomical tidbits of rare rabbit and just dropping it into the outstretched little mouths, the beaks of the little baby eaglets. And they're just thinking, this is wonderful. This is the life. Mom and dad take care of me. But then moving day comes (laughs) and mom comes in with this unusual look on her face and she begins to remove all that cushy down. Little eaglets are bumping up against branches and sticks and it's not so comfortable any longer God's way for the eaglet to grow up, mature, and learn to fly. We can't make it so cushy for our kids that they just want to stay forever in the nest, right? And then the mother eagle does something that almost seems mean. She bumps those little eaglets with her beak onto the edge, the brim of that huge thousand-foot-high thousand high nest. And then to the oh. bewilderment and terror. <laughs> the, the eaglets are terrified. She bumps them off, and there they're just flapping, but they're heading down. And just before they crash and burn, for they haven't learned to fly yet, Mother Eagle, she swoops down, and she catches them on her pinions, says the Scriptures. Beautiful picture of the training process. You've got to let them learn how to fly. Well, the little eaglet thinks it's over. This is good, thanks. That's good enough. But Mother Eagle doesn't comply. She puts them back on the edge and pushes them over again till they learn to use the appendages and they learn how to fly. And that's the way we need to be with our children. We need, while they're under our roof, to learn how to fly. Can I tell you about Reed real quick? This was, it kind of snuck up on us. Um, our letting go of our firstborn. It did. And it was it kind of snuck up on me, and I messed up. I'm <laughs> fessing up right now. Here's what happened. Uh, Reed was about uh, 18 and a half and, uh, at Klein High School there in spring, you know, suburb Houston, and Klein has five high schools. And uh, so he comes back from a youth group uh, you know, 
trip to Enchanted Rock. Todd remembers doing this stuff. Todd was with us from 92 to 2000. Just what a joy to have that guy to work, the privilege of working with him. So we worked with our kids for which we're so grateful. Mm. And so uh, they go to this place called Enchanted Rock, about 150 of them, and and they they bring unbelievers. And what a great way to evangelize when you have them rappelling and kind of hanging on, you know, a little carabiner and stuff. And you say, would you like to put your trust in Jesus now? It's really a great thing. So anyway, so Reed comes back from that on a Sunday night, and he is just wiped out. In baseball terminology... Stick a fork in him. I mean, he looks like, as my, my old pappy used to say, death eating a cracker. And so anyway, so Reed goes, you know, at the table that night. He says, hey, I'm going to go see Julie, who's now his wonderful wife, 21 years. They've got a 17-year-old, 15-year-old. And he said, I, I'm, I'll see you all. I'm going to go. I go, Reed, you know, we think Julie's great. But, man, you got a big baseball game, and you're kind of giving leadership as captain. you got to be at the top of your game, you can't be dead tired tomorrow. So, Reed, would you please come back at about 8.30? He said, Dad, what are you, crazy or something? I haven't seen Julie for a few days. It's spring. I haven't seen her, and it's 6.30 now. 8.30, come on. So in a huff, he left. And Ann's going, oh, my gosh. I haven't seen, seen this before. like this before, you know, and, and this is not good. Reed leaves without a plan to come back at 8.30. Made it clear. <laughs> and you know what my wife does? Guys, has your wife ever done this to you? She said, honey, don't you remember what we read from Dr. Ross Campbell on how to raise, how to, how to really love your teenager? It was kind of like a book that was canonical right by our Bible. You know, it was so important to us. And she said, don't you remember we we're supposed to let him loose that senior year, and we had committed to that. Now we kind of for, forgotten, and uh, we kind of forgot. I forgot. Okay, so I'm telling them to come home. You're supposed to remove curfews. You're supposed to let them learn to fly, catch them before they crash, but let them learn through some hard times, right? The process is difficult. And so I said, and how do you remember that stuff? How do you always remember that stuff? <laughs> Total recall, hacks me off. So I get the book. Give me that book, you know. Now I'm having a little clash with Anne over this thing. She gives me the book. I read it in the morning. I call her. I said, have Reed wait for me after practice tomorrow or or after the game, whatever. I need to talk with him. So we get together in our sunroom. Reed's not looking at me. Have any of you parents experienced that with your kids? No eye contact? You want the eye contact? You're making it, but they're not. So I'm I'm saying, uh, Reed... I reread the book uh, by Campbell. And, son, I just want you to know I'm the one that caused your rebellion last night. We were intending to let you go. No curfews. We were just going to ask you to be considerate of the family about plans, schedules, and stuff, and communicate well about what you're doing and possibly when you might show up and stuff like that. Would you please do that? So, Reed, honestly, I, I messed up, and I just want to confess that to you. You've been a great son, and there's no reason why I shouldn't trust you. I was just trying to over-control for the baseball team's sake. <laughs> so I said, Reed, would you forgive me, please? His eyes lifted off the towel, looked at me. He said, Dad, I do. Gave him a big hug. 
And then he said, you know, Dad, you put all that responsibility on me. And I said, I did. He said, I get it. You really want me to live right, don't you? I said, yeah, and he got it. See, you're putting it on them. It's not going to be perfect, but it's under your roof. You can help just a little bit from crashing and burning, but they're learning to fly. And what and did then, he oh, say? Just, one, one last thing just, that he did. Yeah. It's kind of fun. He, uh, he said, Dad, okay, we're done? I said, yeah. I said, and then he said to me, but Dad, what, what was that guy's name again? I said, well, it was Dr. Ross Campbell. Why? He said, well, I want to write him a thank you note. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He so, really appreciated that so little bit. Those, those are three biblical <laughs> principles that we want to share from you. Right from God's Word, take hold of those, a foundation. You know, we receive them, we raise them according to God's wisdom. Ephesians 6 4, dads, get involved in that process. I've got to share this stat. In Switzerland, huge study was done. When the fathers were involved in just going to church, whether the mother did or not, the, the, the difference between adult attendance at church for those children, now that they're grown up, was radically different. If dad did not go, but mom went every Sunday, 3% of the kids would go to church when they were adults. When dads went, regardless of mom, 47% of the kids in adulthood went to church. Switzerland, godless country. I'm just going to tell you, dads, never, never underestimate your importance of being involved, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Don't provoke them, but raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay. So, yes, um, they are God's property entrusted to us. Whoopsie-daisy for a little while. And um, it's hard to let them go. And you'll struggle as a parent because you hate to see them have a hard time. And just getting out of that nest and getting out on their own, there are bound to be some pressures that are gonna come your way. But it is such an incredible thing to see God begin to work in their lives and you stand back, you pray. As they're building their muscles for independence, I guarantee you, you'll be building your prayer muscles while this is all going on. And so, how do you exactly go about this process of letting go? I want to tell you that, first of all, there are three ways that you need to let them go. You need to let them go gradually, intentionally, and prayerfully. First of all, let them go gradually. When children are small, you all, they need a lot of boundaries. They need a lot of structure and in their lives. And they need a lot of rules. Let's see this. um, Yes, that's the one you want to be like. You want to have over them a lot of rules, just like Bob was letting go of the rules. As you get older, you have fewer and fewer rules filling that box. You know, the the primary way to cause rebellion in teenagers is to let them run wild when they're little, And then when they're 13, 14, 15, start slapping the rules on them like this. And if that's when you're going to have a rebellious teenager, what you want to do is have a lot of rules when they're young and release them gradually. Don't have many rules when they're young and you're going to be in trouble when they're a teenager and you try to do that. So you want to let them go gradually. 
let them make their own decisions little by little, deciding what they're going to wear to school, all of that. It's a gradual process where you let them assume more and more responsibility for themselves. As <clears throat> Secondly, you want to let go intentionally. Um, this is something that you do on purpose. You acknowledge at every little stage along the way that this child is really God's property. Ultimately, your goal is to release them and fully trust the Lord with everything about their lives. But you know what? We kind of grip them tightly when they're those little babies and we're afraid to leave them in the nursery for the first time. Listen, you let go intentionally and take that child to the nursery and you say, God, I'm trusting you with my little baby while I'm away from that child where I am. When the child goes to school, you make a ceremony of it. Well, the first time they go to camp and they spend the night away from home, you acknowledge it. You talk about the process that eventually one day they will leave you and that that is God's plan. And so when they go out to drive a car for the first time, you're on your knees and you are praying and entrusting that child one more time to the Lord. That's the process, and that's how you do it. Now, ultimately, you're going to come to that day when they've maybe gone off to college, they've met their love, they've, uh, they're, or they're working out in the world, and, and they're going to get married. And they're going to do this very thing that Bob said, leave. They're supposed to do that. They're supposed to leave your family and go cleave to their wife. And you are going to need to do something to celebrate that time, to let that boy or that girl know mm -hmm. that you are cutting the cord and you are fully letting them go. For me, when our firstborn son, Reed, got married, decided to get married to Julie, it was a grand time. We have adored Julie. She's just precious daughter-in-law for all these years. But I'll tell you what, when the church had that big shower for me and uh, for her, and I was attending that shower, of course, I was thinking, I need to do something intentionally to let them know that I'm going to back off. I am not going to be right in the middle of their relationship, that they are a separate entity from Bob and Ann. Children pass through our home. We're the couple that stays together. We're the marriage. We're the home. We were a home before our children were ever given to us by the Lord. And we'll be here when they're all out of the home. They pass through. Well, this was our first one. So I, I wrote a little poem about letting go. Mm. And I also got a beautiful blue and white vase for our daughter-in-law for a gift for her home. And I put a blue cord, a tassel around the neck of it, and I tied it. And um, so she opened. Oh, and I did one more thing. I went to my kitchen, and I cut off two apron strings off of one of my aprons. And I put it, folded them up and put them in a little box. And there was that box inside that vase. Wow. And when she opened that, I'm trying to keep this back here. And when she opened that vase, sure enough, uh, she reached, in, she said, this is beautiful. She reached inside. And when I said, there's something in there, she pulled out the little box and it fell open and out came the apron strings. And she said, Ann, what's this? And I looked at her mm. and I read the poem that I had written to her in front of 
God, country, and all of my friends. I said, I need accountability that I really mean it, I'm letting go. And sure enough, I did. The poem went like this. These apron strings I give you from winding around my heart, entwined around my little boy, but now they're cut apart. I give them to you, Julie. Reed is yours to have and hold. I promise there are no strings attached, so your love can indeed unfold. Our firstborn gift from the Lord, well, he's leaving us with joy, cleaving only to you. He's no longer my little boy. That place of being number one, and I was his number one fan and everything he did, that place of being number one, I pass to you alone. From now on, Julie, you are his joy, his home. It's time to cut these apron strings, for a new cord of love has begun. Around you both, I'll wrap my heart. From now on, your lives are one. Well, I can say that very easily to you today, but I will say that on that day, mm. I was bawling, and so were all my friends. <laughs> and, the, and the kids don't get that. Why are you crying? <laughs> you know, they didn't quite understand. Now Julie does. She's got a 17-year-old son, and she's getting ready in one year to release him in some going off to college. Well, so you want to let go intentionally. And um, <clears throat> there are some ways that you can cause failure to launch in the life of your kid. Yes. And um, I think it's a way that we parent them from the beginning, from the youngest ages on up, there are three different ways that you can parent your children that will cause what we call failure to launch. Did you ever see that movie? It's kind of funny. But anyway, failure to launch. Um, if you, in your style of relating to your kids, if you're continually an overly responsible mom, you're the helicopter mom, she forgets they, her homework, or he forgets his gym clothes, and you're always rushing in to rescue and be sure that they don't get a zero, that they always do everything right, that their homework is always perfect and done and turned in. Um, if that's the way you're parenting your child, a sweet lady came up at the end of the first service. She said, oh man, I was corrected. She said, I just went down the hallway this morning and I looked at my daughter's bed and I just had to go in there and redo it when she had made up her bed. No, listen, you got to let their work stand. You know what happens the way a, a young adult feels who has had an overly responsible parent? They feel, I'm basically an incompetent. My parents really, my mom doesn't think I can really handle doing anything by myself. She can always improve it. So uh, that child will not feel uh, respected by you. And psychologically, when they're an adult, they will avoid you. I remember this so well. I had an overly responsible dad, and I didn't want to tell him about any decisions that Bob and I were making as a young couple, what home we were going to buy, because I knew he would find something wrong with it and tell us how we shouldn't get that one. I, you just, you just, so you just don't tell them anything. And I know every one of you wants a great relationship with your kids when they're grown. Don't be an overly responsible parent. Let them handle it. That's the key. That's the launch key. 
you need to remember. Mm. There's a second way to cause failure to launch, and that's being an overprotective parent. This is the parent who doesn't let them experience any of the hardnesses of life, any of the challenges of going out and taking a canoe trip with a youth group. Why? Because you're afraid that something might happen. You're not right there to make sure that they're going to be safe. Now, listen, that kind of a child, he will feel resentful of you as a parent because he's going to look back and say, you never trusted me as when I was growing up. You didn't think that I could handle anything difficult or hard. And so all of these ways, you're eating away at his confidence, which is going to be a hindrance to him when he wants to move out into this world as an independent young man or young lady and make decisions and go out. The third way, which is not a good way to raise your children and something a lot of us Christian mothers have trouble with because we love our kids so much and we're just involved with everything that they do. If they're in school, in a public school, well, we're the, not just the homeroom mother every year, but we're the head homeroom mother or we're the head homeroom mother on the baseball team or whatever as they're growing up. We're just always involved right in the center of their lives. I'm going to tell you that's an unhealthy way to be that you are the center and your child is the center and you get all of your needs met to feel important and significant just by taking care of your precious littles right here. Now, the child that grows up in that kind of home when he's a young adult, especially if it's been a Christian home, he's torn on the inside because, yes, he may want to get married to another, to a gal, but he feels this responsibility for his mother's happiness as a young man. That is a very poor way to have a relationship. How does the, the kid operate, the young man? He operates toward his mother with a sense of guilt. I should be more. Oh, we should have mother over on Sunday, every Sunday after church. Oh, we must go see mother and dad at Christmas. Listen, this is a real problem in young marriages. We have counseled so many young couples and we have had them sit in our home and say to us, you know what, I know my mom, this is the young man, my mom's gonna be a big problem in our marriage. I'm like, why? He said, she demands to be a part of everything that I do. And, And we've talked to him, we said, look, you're gonna have to set a boundary. You're gonna have to say, We're living in this city, you're living here, and we're not coming every weekend. You're going to have to put a boundary. Sure enough, I'm thinking about one young man and his dad. uh, They came in for the counseling, and he said, we got the call after they were married. Father calls and says, son, if you and your wife don't get down here, I promise you, your mother's going to kill herself. I mean, you, you know, we're just sitting here going, What? Listen, that's not the way to parent your children. You know what you need to do? Here's the launch key. Surprisingly enough, you just simply need to get a life. Get a life of your own apart from your kids. When they're in high school, pick up a sport, go serve in a community outreach, do something that's not involved with them. They need to see that you're committed to something transcendent. All right, then... Um, lastly, you want to let go prayerfully. And really, this is the way 
that Hannah did it. Hannah had to let go of her little boy Samuel when he was only about three or four years old. And she took him with a, a bull and a load of uh, grain and a bottle a of, jug of wine. wine. And she took him back and she fulfilled her promise. She had told the Lord, if you give me a son, and this is something every one of us needs to say, I promise you, Lord, I will give him back to you all the days of his life. Every one of us needs to make that. Well, Hannah kept good on her word and her promise to the Lord, and here she comes with little Samuel, just four years old, and she takes him back to the priest's house, Eli, who was a rotten priest and a rotten father and had rotten sons. And she put her precious little, little uh, Samuel into that rotten environment. But then she stands up in the congregation and she begins to worship the Lord in prayer. And she prays the most beautiful prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. She says, oh God, my, my horn is full. I am blessed among women. Oh God, you are great. God, you see everything that happens. God, you are the judge over all. You have all power. And she just continues on this prayer, and she is recounting the attributes of God, that he is the one who is completely able to hold this gift that she is bringing back to him, and that she trusts him. You know, it was so interesting to me when I studied that prayer She doesn't mention a word about the rotten priest, Eli. She doesn't tell God, now you know his son. Oh, God, protect him from those boys. They're so bad. No. She puts her complete focus on the faithfulness of God and his awesome character. And she said, if I'm putting and releasing my child, there's one place to release your child, and that is into the hands of God. And that's how we need to prayerfully release our children. Well, we did it many times all along the way, didn't we, honey? We did. You remember that day Laura got married? It was so hard. <laughs> you know, you want your boys to, to have a wonderful and beautiful wife and all those things. You know, the men really need a woman, right? But my daughter, she's precious. I've provided for her. She's, she's a, just a delight. She's a little Laura bear and all. And, and my thought was it's like turning over a priceless Stradivarius to a gorilla. <laughs> and it's kind of like you touch her, I'll take you out. I'll take you out. You know, so it was really hard for me. Got to marry each of the three kids. Can you believe yeah. that? Give them all, amen. But Laura was tough. Yeah. Out. She. So on their wedding day, excuse me, mm-hmm. which happens to be, 18 years ago today, March 4th, the only day of the year that's a command. That's how they told me I could remember it. Um, So she was getting married at 1 o'clock. It was late in the morning. I am in the house scurrying around, getting ready for the after the party, after the party, party, party. You know, that all the relatives come to your house after everything is done and all the receptions and all of that. And they were going to come back, and then I was going to have dinner for them again on top of this. So I'm in there wrapping baked potatoes, and Bob comes wandering into the kitchen. He goes, honey, he just put his hand on my, around my back. And he said, 
you got to come talk to me. I was messed up. <laughs> and I said, what are you talking about? And he said, I'm just having a hard time about Laura getting married. And I'm like, what? You know, it's in two hours. You're a little late to start being hesitant about her marrying Howard. And so we go in there and he says, you know, I know Harold's a great guy and everything, but, and he said, we just got to get down and, and tell the Lord one more time that we're going to let her go. We did. We got down on our knees, started praying, and we're sitting there and our hands are, Lord, we, we, we know and we trust you. We believe this is your plan for her life. And Lord, we just give her back one more time to you. Sure enough, just as we're sobbing, and here comes Bud, she opens the door and she's in her wedding gown. She goes, Mom and Dad, what are y'all doing down there? Well, it's okay. We're crying. We're letting you go one more time. It's all right if you get married. And you know, she was like, what? So, you know, for us, it was hard. It's hard. Of course it is. But you see, you do it intentionally. And you do it prayerfully. And I can just tell you that it has been such a blessing in our lives. Listen, love anything and you let it go. If it loves you back, it will come back. It will be turned. And we have a blessed relationship with each of our adult children and their mates. I cannot tell you how, how we are blessed so much, but God has really made this a part of our lives and our message. Listen, we believe that someday things really will be different at your house. They will. Your kids are going to leave yours just like ours did. They left us one by one. And then there was just the two of us again. You know, the reason we teach this now, even way before you have to let them go, is that it adds significance to the short time that you have with your kids. Really. It's just 18 years. And you only have a little while to influence them, to teach them, to train them, to love them. So seize the day. But you know what? We all get tired, don't we? And we think, I'll read them a story tomorrow, or I'll play baseball with them tomorrow, or I'll take her on a little date with just Daddy, but I'm just so tired today. Listen, James Dobson says this. It's the illusion of permanence, thinking I'll do it tomorrow that causes us to live selfishly today. So we challenge you. Seize today and pour your life out into your kids and get ready to let them go. That's right. And we want to encourage you, if you know that, uh, that poem, uh, The Cutting, uh, I still get choked up over that thing. So did all, all of our children and their mates. And they really do use that thing in their homes and attract people, their friends. It's in the book if you want to. Make it yours. That's what we want to tell you. Yeah. Make it yours. Use it. Rewrite it however you want to do it. Give it to your kids as that intentional releasing. 